What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Please take care of yourself. Thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and those who are othered, as well as the victims associated with those crimes. Because contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cisgender, white dudes. What? No, no. Let me tell you, you're in for a treat. (laughs) These crimes rarely get any public attention because the news is racist. Allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a Black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white. She's one of the good ones and hasn't (laughs) disappointed me yet. (laughs) We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. All right, so who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about the convicted murderer of two men, James Jimmy Shepard and Perry P.J. Jennings. The killer is a black trans man with the last name of Barnes, and the murders took place in Louisiana in the early 2000s, before Barnes came out as trans. Right. So, before we get into it, how you doing? Good. So, we're back from CrimeCon, which was a blast. It was yeah. so fun. We met so mm-hmm. many people. We had a great time uh-huh. talking to everybody and connecting with people, and Magic Mind really came through for us kept us oh awake, focused, and engaged. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because we brought a whole mini fridge full of <laughs> magic mind with us. And we're sharing it with Minnie and the whole the whole crew. And it came in these little green shot bottles. And it was so helpful in keeping us going, keeping us awake. Yeah, because those are some long days. Yeah, CrimeCon has long days. And Magic Mind has these adaptogens to help you cope with stress. And also, smart word alert, nootropics that I don't know what they do, but they help you think. And caffeine from matcha. And it's like a great alternative to coffee or supplement to the coffee that you're already drinking. 
So you could say, get the fuck out of here, procrastination, brain fog, and fatigue, because <laughs> Magic Mind is here to help you boost energy, enhance focus, support cognition, and reduce stress levels. And I, God, I, I love it. I know. I'm so right? sad that I'm almost out. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, and look, if you don't feel the magic of Magic Mind, then you can get your money back. No problem. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It is great stuff. Like, for reals. So... I hope you don't mind, Beth. I'd like to just hop on into the old uh, mailbag. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, hello, angels. Thank you. Oh, what's in the bag, Beth? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, look, if you are looking in your feed and you're a tad bit confused about the numbering of our episodes, let us explain, please. We done fucked up. Very simply, we recorded an episode about a black trans serial killer. But in doing so, we disrespected the trans community, especially our fruities who are aligned with that community. And and mean a lot to us. Absolutely. And it was unintentional. We recognize that we did it. And it doesn't matter if it was intentional or not. We heard you. We took the episode down. And now we're re-recording it using some of the knowledge and feedback we received. Yeah. So these are some of the comments we got. Do you want to just go back and forth? Sure, sure. Let's do that. Okay. So you do the first one. Okay. So the first one is... Our names and pronouns are not gifts you bestow on us when we're good. Yes, that's true. Yes, yes, that's wonderful. Hip hop air horns. <laughs> uh, we dead named him. They said you de- dead named him in the in the title of the episode. Then said, "I know we're not supposed to do that, but she's a murderer." LOL. I did say that. I apologize. Shouldn't have said it. And uh, we can do better. But yeah. Thank you for letting us know. What else? What else was in that mailbag? Hip hop air horn. Yes. And another one was nothing about us without us. Maybe Mm. this would be a good opportunity for y'all to seek out some networking with people in the trans community who could share resources or provide their perspective. Very good suggestion. Yeah. Very good suggestion. So we took the feedback and do what we could to make this version of the Barnes case more respectful for our trans right. fam. Uh, what else? By disrespecting the gender identity of a person for any reason, no matter who they are, what we did essentially is disrespected the gender identities of our audience, our fruities. And while we tried to tell the story in a way that showed compassion and empathy for the victims of this true crime story and shed some light on those stories of marginalized communities, we did a poor job and we are truly sorry. Yeah. And that wasn't our intention, but still the impact of our mistake cannot be ignored. Yeah. So that that's right. And we're really sorry that we did such a poor job on our previous Barnes episode. We admit that we have blind spots and we'll be better about our language so that Fruit Loops HQ can continue to be a safe place where we can uplift underrepresented people and their stories in the true crime space and be better humans and allies to everybody. Yeah, and we hope you can forgive us and we hope you still want to get up, get up and get 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 down and get into the true crime of it all with us. <laughs> so this is take two of our episode on the convicted murderer of Jimmy Shepard and Perry P.J. Jennings. And with that, we will keep learning, keep trying and keep trying to be kind to ourselves and to each other and keep it moving on our collective quest that we have to be our best sexy selves. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> and okay. we wanted to give a huge thank you to Corey. The hugest, yes. Corey. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you so much. Yeah. He's a Patreon and part of the trans community and he helped us with our script. So 
We really appreciate that. 100, 1,000%. Thank you, Corey. And please Ooh. send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. Also, join us on Patreon, where we have literally hundreds of hours of bonus content. And we have a video club for our 12 plus patrons where you can interact with us in person. That's right. All right. Let's take a quick break and get into the story when we come back. We would like to take this moment to tell you about our sponsor, Magic Mind. So Magic Mind came into my life at the exact right time. My life is very busy. I'm a podcaster. I have a full-time job. I have children, a partner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have a full-time job and a second full-time job podcasting. So I don't know how you do all of those things. Uh, Me neither. (laughs) But all of those things (laughs) require focus and attention. Frankly, I cannot survive without caffeine. Usually my caffeine intake consists of in the morning, first thing, Coke Zero, two caffeine pills. Then coffee, green tea throughout the rest of the day, pop another caffeine pill or two if I need it. And when you have that much caffeine in your system, it makes it almost impossible to sleep. So I also have to take sleep aids. It's a mess. Yeah. (laughs) But cut to magic mind. Yes. So I was skeptical, but I tried it for a week and I swear I did not need the caffeine pills or coffee. Wow. Yeah. It was, I was like, oh, I haven't had any coffee today. I love it. It makes it easy to incorporate it into my morning routine. It's this little tasty shot. And so after seven days of drinking magic mind, I had mental energy. I noticed I was more focused. I was more productive. I was sleeping better and generally less stressed and anxious. Nice. And my husband is like this super like health conscious guy and he tried it too and he loves it too. Magic Mind is the world's first productivity drink. It's got all natural ingredients sourced from the best suppliers they could find. There is no sugar. It's nut free, vegan, keto and paleo friendly. It's got ingredients that you can actually pronounce and regular regular folks can understand like honey, ashwagandha and lion's mane, which is an adaptogen that reduces stress and anxiety. Yes, all good stuff. And also ingredients that I'm not sure what they do, but saying them sure makes me feel good and sound smart. Try it. (laughs) Say adaptogens and nootropics. So if you're thinking, whoa, Wendy is a sexy genius. How does she do it? Well, (laughs) Magic Mind definitely helps. (laughs) And Magic Mind also has a 100% money back guarantee. No questions asked. So there's no risk. If you don't like it, you can get a refund. Magic Mind stands behind their product because it works. It works for me and I bet it can work for anyone out there struggling with energy, focus, and generally wanting to feel better. So go to magicmind.com slash Loops and get up to 56% off your subscription for the next 10 days with our code FRUITLOOPS20. The code again is FRUITLOOPS20. Just go to the website and get 56% off your subscription. All right, so we're back. Remind us, Beth, who is our subject? So this is the story about Barnes, a Black trans man who killed two men in the New Orleans area in 2002 and 2003 before he had affirmed his gender. All right, so let's get into some stats. So we're telling the story of Barnes, who at the time of the murders had not transitioned. And since the murders, Barnes has declared his gender identity. 
Barnes identifies as a black trans man and goes by the name Xander or Joshua. Or Jusha. Jusha. Oh, yeah, it's I'm, spelled J-O-U-S-H-A, at least on the website. And oh. it may be a misspelling of Joshua. Okay. Okay. So I guess we can assume, but we acknowledge Barnes' trans identity. We are just using the name Barnes to tell the story because we are unsure which first name he prefers. And according to Corey, our wonderful patron who helped us with this episode, whatever name is given first is usually the preferred. Just for future reference, same with pronouns usually. Okay. And we know that a trans person declaring their name publicly is affirming. And we know that dead naming can be harmful. So what is dead naming? Dead naming is when a person intentionally or accidentally calls a transgender or non-binary person by a name they don't use anymore often their birth name. Dead naming is a form of discrimination and a microaggression against transgender and non-binary people. A dead name is the name of the identity you've killed in pursuit of your truth. And I, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Your truth. Yes. Let's all live by our truths, for goodness <laughs> sakes. I'm a forgetful bitch, and I hate myself a lot of times. Oh, don't That's do that. Truth. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> don't hate my friend, Wendy. Okay, thank you. I'm, I'm, it's, not, it's definitely not apples to oranges, but, you know, anti-blackness and all that stuff. Right. Anyway, but it's all good. Yeah. Okay, so so this this might sound stupid. Um, actually, it is stupid. <laughs> um, but I didn't know all that when we recorded the first time. Uh-huh. I thought dead naming was when you intentionally call someone by the incorrect name because you refuse to acknowledge their trans identity. And okay. I felt I didn't think that's what we were doing, and I, it's not what we intended. We were yeah. just trying to figure out how to tell the story. But I have yeah. since learned that we were dead naming, which is disrespectful, not only to the person you're dead naming, but to the entire trans community. So, yeah. And I will also say that I don't think that is stupid. I consider, you know, I'm a black person. I'm a black queer person. And Beth is my white straight friend. <laughs> and um, one of the things that I know from watching other allies and us trying to be allies ourselves to other marginalized communities that maybe we don't fit in, but we love and are in line with, right? Allyship can be difficult. It can be uncomfortable. And you're going to make mistakes. Yeah. I know that for a fact. And so yeah, we did. when we made this mistake, <laughs> that's that's all I wanted. I just yeah. wanted to be clear. We know okay. we know we didn't fuck up. So okay. let's um, get into the rest of the story. Love and light to the victims. James Jimmy Shepard. He was 41 years old. And Perry PJ Jennings Jr. was 30 years old. Also love and light to the communities involved, yeah. the people left behind in the wake of these murders, and again, rest in power to those men. Now, let's get into the setting. Okay. Ben, did you just pick up a fifth of brandy? I heard a glass <laughs> bottle. It was my lit. tea. It was oh, just my tea. <laughs> okay, you must have had a ring or something clink. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's like madman over there. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, whatever you say. I swear, I swear to God, I'm just drinking tea. <laughs> Okie dokie, whatever you say, <laughs> Whatever, whatever. <laughs> All right, let's get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Well, the setting is New Orleans, Louisiana. We've been here before, but let's remind our listeners 
that the original inhabitants of the land that New Orleans sits on were the Chittimacha. The Chittimacha tribe of Louisiana is the only tribe in Louisiana to still occupy a portion of their aboriginal homeland. The area around New Orleans, or New Orleans, has abundant <laughs> ecological resources and a convenient network of navigable rivers, bayous, and bays. Louisiana is located in the southern United States. It was a colony of France, then Spain, then France again, before Napoleon sold the entire Louisiana colony, including New Orleans, Nolens, to the United States. Nolens is a unique city with a complicated colonial and racial history. Aspects of the historical and cultural development of the South were greatly influenced by the institution of slave labor from the early 1600s to the mid-1800s, and New Orleans was the nation's busiest slave marketplace throughout the antebellum era of 1803 to 1861. In the mid-1800s, the highest concentration of millionaires in America could be found between New Orleans and Baton Rouge. Their wealth came largely from sugarcane plantations, which depended on the labor of thousands of enslaved Black people. By the way, big sugar is still a big industry. Wow. <laughs> yeah. In uh, Louisiana? No. Um, okay. They, now they're just exploiting people of color in other countries. Other countries. countries. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> so after the Civil War, there was a concerted effort by white people to contain, segregate, and disempower free people of color. In essence, everything that could be segregated in Louisiana was. Oh! Lynchings increased dramatically after 1900, primarily in the northern parishes. World War II ushered in a number of legal and social changes that weakened the structure of segregation. Nearly one million Black men and women served in the armed forces to defend the United States. And in 1948, President Truman signed Executive Order 9981, fully desegregating the armed forces and setting the stage for civil rights for the rest of the century. The military is the first first place we saw integration. Desegregation. Yeah. 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 Yes. Desegregation. After World War II, suburbanization and conflicts over school integration led to white flight, leaving a core in New Orleans that was increasingly black and impoverished. The city then grew as a tourist attraction. Hundreds of thousands of annual visitors are drawn to the Mardi Gras festivities and to the distinct Creole culture that includes Native American, European, and strong African and Caribbean influences. LGBTQ people have existed in Louisiana since before its founding, but the political movement for LGBTQ rights emerged slower as compared to other American states with sizable queer populations. This delay was largely a holdover of French and Creole-influenced traditions, creating an unspoken social compact, wherein non-heterosexual behavior could be accommodated, so long as it remained apolitical and private. Who does that serve? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Think about it. Uh, so the older system of open secrets conflicted with an LGBTQ plus rights movement attempting to organize publicly. In the 1970s, gay politics was often considered a dangerous phrase in Louisiana society, where same-sex acts had been illegal since 1805. Wow. Uh, mm, 1805, wow. it's already in the 1970s and still illegal. Yeah. That's nuts. What the yeah. fuck? National movements such as gay liberation experienced early rejection into the 1960s. 
but a grassroots political awakening did occur in 1977 when anti-homosexual spokesperson and singer Anita Bryant, who my mom hated, she, oh my God, she hated her so much. Yeah. Really? Wait, why? Because she was from the South. She's because she's anti-homosexual. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm getting it now. Sorry. Missed that part. Okay. Yeah. Good. So Anita Bryant visited New Orleans and inspired a massive gay protest. Mm. The 1980 founding of the Louisiana Lesbian and Gay Political Action Caucus, popularly known as LAGPAC, I'm going to say LAGPAC, gave the state its first sustainable gay political group. Wow. I also wanted to mention that, gosh, this is the 70s. And I'm going to shout this out later. There is a Instagram person that I've just begun to follow, and she is a trans woman in her 60s. Wow. She came out as trans in the set and she transitioned wow. in the 70s. Wow. She's still alive. That's awesome. I mean, I mean there's so much oppression and anti LGBTQ plus uh, harm that a lot of them. There's so much, there's also so much tragedy in the face of something so wonderful. So I'll get to that later. But anyway, in 1991, LAGPAC led a coalition that secured the passage of a non-discrimination ordinance protecting homosexuals in New Orleans. We should say LGBTQ plus people, but we didn't have that language in the 90s. Statewide efforts, however, would be largely stymied with the exception of a hate crimes law protecting gays and lesbians, which passed in 1997. It took federal decriminalization in 2003. 2003. What is that, 200 years later? Through the U.S. Supreme Court's landmark decision in Lawrence v. Texas to nullify criminal statutes against same-sex acts in Louisiana. Yeah, 200 years. Holy shit. And I wonder if Canada, other parts of the world, what their timeline is for accepting LGBTQ plus people. Not, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know for the purposes of this episode. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I didn't look that up, but yeah, yeah. that's not 200 years. I do years. wonder. Yeah. yeah. So New Orleans is sometimes called the Crescent City because it's shaped like a crescent as it bends along Lake Pontchartrain. That sounds nice. But <laughs> Louisiana is often called the world's prison capital oh. because it imprisons more of its people per capita than any other state in the U.S. If you're surprised by that and your eyeballs just popped out of your head, it's true, even more than Texas and Florida. What? Additionally, the percentage of incarcerated Black people is almost double Black people's representation in the general population. The state's population is roughly 62% white and 33% Black, but those numbers nearly flip behind bars, where 34% of inmates are white and 64% are Black. And if you're wondering why, watch 13th. Thank you, my friend. Look, yeah. there she goes again. <laughs> Not disappointing. Being a good, a good ally to BIPOC folks. Thanks, Beth. You're welcome. <laughs> it is also the only jurisdiction in the U.S. known to systematically keep people in jail well past their release dates, even though officials have been aware of these violations of the Constitution's due process protections for years. That seems so wrong. Like yeah, they, they, it is wrong. How can people do that if there's rules against? I, isn't this a society of law and order? What? Yeah, you would think, except, for, except for when it suits them, I guess. 
I guess so. So the DOJ has pointed out that parish jails have no financial incentive to address the problem because the Department of Corrections pays the jail for each day of over-detention and doesn't inquire much about their practices. So, so they get money. all about the Benjamins. It's all about the Benjamins. And how different does that look from slavery? Human bodies right, for money right. or human trafficking? Not very different. Uh-oh, yeah. uh you got some <laughs> splitting to do. <laughs> Louisiana is also remarkable for its use of the forced labor of incarcerated people. In Louisiana, mostly Black prisoners pick cotton at gunpoint on former slave plantations. That's mm, horrific. Horrifying. Yeah. yeah. They have cleaned up the 2010 BP oil spill, have staffed prison rodeos where vulnerable inmates are charged by a bull for public entertainment, and they clean and cook meals in the state capitol in Baton Rouge. Yeah, and we saw this play out on season two of Your Honor, the show on HBO Max. And I had to pause it and look it up. This prison rodeo is real and it still goes on. I couldn't believe it. That's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. It is entirely nuts. There you go. There you go. An audit in Angola prison also showed that the prison rodeo made about 6.3 million between 2014 and 2015, none of which was deposited with the state treasury. What? Not one dollar and included in the DOC budget as required by law. That's theft. Oh, geez. Who is the criminals? Put yeah, them that's in jail. Theft. That's guess who's going to jail tonight? <laughs> Not them. <laughs> Unfortunately. So roughly 800,000 incarcerated people work in prisons nationwide and they produce more than two billion a year in goods and upwards of nine billion in services most of which benefit state officials and government budgets. It seems so unfair yeah. <laughs> looking at those numbers and how under-resourced yeah. the people are, the yeah. people. Officials around the country have said openly that they can't tax citizens enough to replace the value of forced inmate labor. But you know what you could do is reduce the CEO's pay. Yeah. That's a great start. Yeah. Some Private companies that use prisoner labor have also stated openly that it's just easier and cheaper to use a captive workforce oh without God. benefits or rights. Jesus oh, Christ. It's, too, it's just so much easier. You, I'm so <laughs> sorry. It's so easy. <sighs> well, tough nuggets. <laughs> In 2017, the sheriff of Caddo Parish, Louisiana, complained about losing non-dangerous inmates entitled to release because they use those people to, quote, change oil in our cars, to cook in the kitchen, and so on, unquote. Oh, so this could also be like a a Southern thing where I'm just saying that in the South, in Louisiana, they're so used to inmate bodies doing this doing kind of chores stuff for them. They yeah. can't imagine. Can't possibly do without it. Just, how are we going to put oil in our own cars? I don't know. <laughs> Who's going to cook in our own kitchen? I don't know. But the average prison wage is 52 cents an hour. Well, seven states are not even required to pay prisoners for work. Jonathan Archile, 29, working at the Capitol in the trustee program, told a journalist that prison staff told him, quote, you're a slave, unquote. Archile was later put on lockdown in the prison while under investigation for speaking mm. to a journalist. I Ugh. I can't. Yeah. Which included isolation and loss of certain privileges. That's for fucked up. Sakes. Yeah. yeah. 
Louisiana State Penitentiary, known colloquially as Angola, started as a plantation and derived its nickname from the country in Africa, once associated with the slave trade. Today, around 74% of the more than 5,000 inmates at Angola are Black. Advocates for change say a line can be drawn from Angola's foundation as a plantation to the fields where incarcerated people work today. Terrence Wynn, 49, who gave testimony to a U.N. committee about his time in Angola, said, quote, I was a 16-year-old kid who went straight from the classroom to the cotton field, unquote. Describing guards on horseback who oversee the field, he added, quote, you actually experience and feel what slavery was like for our ancestors, unquote. Mm. And that is also horrifying. Yeah. There is a growing body of evidence that suggests that there are collateral consequences of mass incarceration, both on individuals and their home communities. Some criminologists have said that when the number of felons removed from a community is, quote, too high, unquote, it actually harms their communities. No shit, yeah. Sherlock. Hello? You're, hello. <laughs> You're taking away mothers, children, earners. Fathers. Uh, yeah. Fathers, yes. Uh, and it's not that different from the practice of slavery in which families were intentionally ripped apart for profit. And researchers at Columbia University School of Public Health examined how higher than average incarceration rates might impact community well-being in less direct ways. And this is Columbia. It's one of those Ivy League schools, so you better pay attention. The researchers traced mental health outcomes of people who live in areas from which the incarcerated are heavily drawn, but who have not otherwise had contact with the criminal justice system. The results suggested that, quote, the effect of neighborhood level incarceration on mental health is similar for individuals with and without a history of incarceration, unquote. And that's fucking that's terrible. nuts. Yeah. Yeah. I it's mean, it's, it's not it's wild. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Poor people of color are incarcerated disproportionately. So it is from their communities that a very large number of people are removed and to these same neighborhoods that they return when their sentences end. This has been called coercive mobility by criminologists. And coercive mobility has the unintended consequence of actually increasing crime and victimization. In other words, higher rates of incarceration and mass incarceration actually increases crime. Mass incarceration did not come about because of substantial increases in crime, but because of policy choices. If you didn't know, now you know, the United States has one of the highest per capita incarceration rates of any nation in the world. And Louisiana has the highest per capita incarceration rate in the United States. So I guess we should feel proud for all the winning (laughs) we're doing in that category. Uh, (laughs) Winning. Winning. (laughs) So for a trans person, getting reliable gender-affirming care in prison is difficult. It often comes only after threats of lawsuits or an all-out legal fight. Prisons that do provide gender-affirming care are often inconsistent, regardless of the policies that are on the books. Taylor Brown, a staff attorney at the American Civil Liberties Union, said, quote, Prisons oftentimes refuse to treat transgender people consistent with their gender, and they also refuse to provide medically necessary health care, unquote. Gosh, I think of for like the general population of, is, was it Sophia on Orange is the New Black? Right. Like that might have been our first look into what it might be like as a trans person incarcerated. Yeah. If, and I don't think 
to, to be honest, I don't think I'd ever considered that as a, even a thing before yeah. seeing that program. Right. So gender affirming healthcare can include puberty suppression, hormone therapy, and gender affirming surgeries. Care backed by decades of research and supported by every major medical association representing over 1.3 million U.S. doctors. Access to this care is considered medically necessary to treat gender dysphoria. Without it, individuals can struggle severely with mental health issues such as heightened anxiety and depression, with some turning to self-harm and suicide. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing Podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. Now, let's get into Barnes's early life. What do you got for us, Beth? Well, Barnes was born on November 29th, 1979, and was assigned female at birth in Louisiana to an upper-middle-class family. Barnes was always male, but during the first part of his life, presented as female. So just a little culture corner. We don't want to say Barnes used to be female. Similarly, he didn't change sex. He affirmed his gender. And if a pronoun is he... They is not affirming to use unless they go by he, they. Right. So, yeah, that makes Just a little all culture corner. Yeah, yeah, a little culture corner. And thank you. Please send us more culture <laughs> corners. Yeah. We have blind spots. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, we could use them. <laughs> yeah, we would love them. So, mm-hmm. oh, gosh, wouldn't it be great to have a whole episode of Culture, Culture Corners? Corners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and another thing. And on, exactly. <laughs> and I'll read it in my angriest voice or silliest, whichever you like. So Barnes's father was former military and worked for a cable company. His mother was a children's book author. As a child, Barnes was described as happy and had dreams of becoming a model. Barnes went to a private school where he was described as charismatic, bubbly, outgoing, studious, and smart. But as he became a teenager, he began hanging out with some friends that his parents didn't approve of, and he began rebelling. When Barnes was 16, he ran away from home and began couch surfing at friends' houses. He transferred to a public school and managed to graduate, which is uh, pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. But he was troubled and acquired a lengthy criminal history with convictions for aggravated assault, battery, and theft. So now let's hop on into the timeline. Splish, splash. Ooh, the water's nice. At age 18, (laughs) while he was still presenting as female, Barnes began stripping in the French Quarter to make some money. Barnes met a man named Clinton Lewis, an Orleans Parish Sheriff's deputy. The couple moved in together and Clinton convinced Barnes to quit stripping. In 1999, they married. (laughs) (laughs) Been working on my Southern accent. Oh, I see. (laughs) Thank you. According to Clinton, things started out well. He worked, and Barnes was a homemaker. But according to people who knew him, Barnes resisted Clinton's efforts to turn Barnes into his, quote, perfect wife, unquote. And that would be horrible. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, just for me, but also for many women. And I can't imagine how horrible it would be for somebody who is trans. Yeah. People are put into boxes and we don't belong in boxes. We're free. We're human (laughs) beings. We move. (laughs) And so it just seems like uh, another, the, for lack of a better way of putting this, the patriarchy in the form of this man putting Barnes into this box that Barnes did not belonging to truth did not fit into it so the couple argued a lot and police were called several times for domestic disputes according to clinton if barnes didn't get his way he would have quote temper tantrums unquote and he made threats against clinton clinton claimed that during one fight barnes pulled a gun they fought over it and the gun was discharged into the air several times i was going to go into song but i won't (laughs) It eventually became too much, and in 2001, at the age of 22, Barnes moved out. The couple were still seeing each other, but Barnes was living with friends. And according to Clinton, at first Barnes was angry with him over the breakup, but then Barnes told Clinton that he'd met someone new. Oh, the new man was P.J. Jennings. But there was one problem. They weren't actually a couple. They were just friends. PJ had been described as quiet and a homebody. He liked chess and he liked reading and he liked computer games. After high school, to the surprise of his parents, he joined the army. He served for four years and then joined the Air National Guard where he was a jet mechanic. In 2001, he was living in Algiers across the river from the New Orleans French Quarter. PJ liked helping people and has been described by his friends as everyone's big brother. Big bro PJ. He told his friends that Barnes was someone who was troubled and needed help. Barnes came to stay with him for a while, sleeping on his couch. 
PJ's friends and family all liked Barnes and described him as fun and charming. But PJ let everyone know that their relationship was purely platonic. In fact, PJ was dating a woman named Tamara. But PJ's father believed that Barnes had feelings for PJ that went beyond friendship. PJ's papa had a conversation with PJ about it and urged him to clear things up with Barnes and to be careful with Barnes's feelings. But PJ was confident that everything was fine and that he had things under control. I snuck that in there to try to get you to say papa. papa. <laughs> and papa. you did it. I, did I it. win. <laughs> but soon, Tamara began getting upset about his relationship with Barnes and it caused a lot of tension. Tamara broke up with PJ, but when Barnes eventually moved out, he and Tamara smoothed things over. However, every now and again, Barnes would come back to crash on his couch for a few days. In February of 2002, Barnes met 41-year-old Jimmy Shepard at a truck stop. Barnes was stuck at the truck stop because his car had broken down. Jimmy lived in a trailer park in Irish Bayou nearby and offered to work on Barnes's car for him. Jimmy did fix the car, but it took a while. And in the meantime, Barnes slept on his couch. But within the next few days, they began sleeping together. And less than a month later, Jimmy was dead. On April 2nd, 2002, a co-worker came by to pick him up for work and found him stabbed to death. Barnes had brutally stabbed Jimmy 17 times. Some sources say 27 times, but the autopsy says 17. But he had stab wounds all over his body. One stab mm. wound went through his torso all the way from front <gasps> to back. Yeah. Whoa. Wild. Oh, my God. Is stabbing usually, I don't know if this is relevant, but do we typically see stabbings, you know, how women normally poison? Right. Do are stabbings more male or female? Male. Yeah. Okay. So the coworker called the police and Jimmy's brothers told police about Barnes. The night before Jimmy was murdered, he was at a bar with his brother when Barnes called him and he left the bar to go meet up with him. Jimmy's van was missing. His brothers drove around the city looking for it and they actually found it. Ooh. Abandoned in a car wash in Slidell, a city on the northeast shore of Lake Pontchartrain. Police found Barnes staying at a shelter nearby. Smart to hide there. <laughs> I mean, if, right? Yeah. So police picked him up. He told them that he and Jimmy had gotten into a fight and Jimmy tried to rape Barnes. So Barnes stabbed him in self-defense. Barnes then took the van, ditched it at the car wash and walked to the shelter using Jimmy's credit card at a liquor store along the way. So that's just more evidence that. Yeah. Yeah. He, he went Clearly, from, from the van yeah. to the shelter. <laughs> yeah. What do, you, what do you think? We're blind, Barnes? <laughs> He was placed under arrest and taken to the New Orleans Parish Jail. Two months later, he was released due to a bureaucratic mix-up. The district attorney mistakenly didn't file charges within <gasps> 60 days, as per the law, so Barnes was released. This was really, really bad. <laughs> yeah, he really fucked up. <laughs> so as soon as the mistake was realized, a warrant was issued for Barnes, who at this point couldn't be found because he was again bouncing from place to place. So as per usual, he drifted around, staying with different friends and at various shelters. Eventually, PJ's father found out about Barnes's outstanding warrant and warned PJ, but PJ told his father that he already knew about it. He said it had been self-defense, that the guy was attempting to rape Barnes and that he defended himself. 
PJ also told his father that he was attempting to get Barnes to turn himself in. On March 27th, 2003, after PJ's parents couldn't get in touch with him for a couple days, his mom went to his apartment. Getting no answer to her knock at the door, she found the building manager who opened the door and went in. The building manager found PJ dead in his bed with a single gunshot wound to his head. There was no evidence of a struggle, so it appeared that he'd been killed in his sleep. He was 30 years old. So young. I was... They took the words out of my mouth. Yeah. A pillow with a bullet hole in it was found by his body. The pillow had been used as a silencer for the gun. A spent 40 caliber shell casing found on the floor was taken into evidence. PJ's electronics and valuables were still there, and there had been no forced entries, so police believed that it had had to have been someone who had access to the apartment, someone he knew. On a chair near the bed, investigators found a shirt that had been recently worn. In the pocket of the shirt was a piece of paper with the name Ever Lopez written on it and an address in Ensenada, Mexico. The killer had taken PJ's wallet, his gun, and his car. The gun was a Ruger 40 caliber pistol, the same caliber as the shell casing, so it appeared that he'd been shot with his own gun. Mm. The building manager told the police he'd seen a quote-unquote woman with PJ two days before his body was found. PJ had asked him to change out a broken light fixture at his apartment. The day before his body was found, the building manager had gone into the apartment to replace the fixture and saw PJ sleeping on the bed. The building manager had been very quiet so as not to disturb him. However, it was likely that PJ had actually been dead at the time. The building manager became a suspect for a minute, but he was cleared. The last time PJ was seen alive was on March 25th, and police believed that he had been killed that night. Police asked his friends and family about the person seen with PJ before his murder and the name Ever Lopez. PJ's friends never heard of Ever Lopez, but they told them about Tamara and Barnes, who, if you recall from the beginning of the episode, was still presenting as female at the time, who they said caused issues with Tamara and PJ. Nobody was certain if PJ's relationship with Barnes had been purely platonic, as he had claimed. Tamara was distraught over PJ's death, but police asked her if she had been at PJ's apartment on the 25th, to which she said no. They told her that there had been a quote-unquote woman there, which genuinely surprised her. She had been at her mother's house that day, and her alibi checked out. After Tamara had broken up with PJ the prior year, she had dated another man on the base before she and PJ got back together. That man became a suspect, but he was also eliminated because he had a solid alibi. PJ's brother, Jameson, said four days before PJ was found dead, PJ had been at his house hanging out when he got a phone call from Barnes. Barnes said he was at the bus station and needed a ride. PJ said he would come pick him up. Jameson believed that Barnes had been hiding out in Mexico. Investigators discovered that sometime prior to his death, PJ had wired money to Ever Lopez in Mexico, which explained the name and address on the piece of paper. Police believed that Ever Lopez was either an alias that Barnes had been using or a friend of Barnes's. Got him! <laughs> so police did a name check on Barnes and discovered that he was wanted, wanted, for second degree murder. So now let's get into the investigation and the arrest. Hit it, Beth. 
After Barnes murdered PJ Jennings, he fled the scene in PJ's car with his wallet, cash, and credit cards. Investigators went to the address in Mexico that had been on the piece of paper, but nobody there knew or had heard of someone named Ever Lopez. It was a dead end. The U.S. Marshals got involved and they tracked Barnes through credit card usage. Based on the travel pattern and the note found in the pocket of the shirt, investigators believed he was headed for Mexico. On his way, Barnes bought clothing, sunglasses, and hair dye. Everything you need to change your appearance and then go on the lam. Went mm. <laughs> <laughs> on the lam. Aha, <laughs> uh-huh, okay. Detectives were able to verify with a sales clerk that it was, in fact, Barnes that they were looking for. Barnes successfully entered Mexico and PJ's car was found at the border in Brownsville, Texas. But Barnes continued to make use of PJ's credit cards, uh-oh, <laughs> using them to wire money to himself in Zitacuaro, Mexico. On April 30th, 2003, Barnes was arrested in a motel in Zitacuaro. At 23 years old, Barnes was arrested and extradited back to New Orleans, where he faced a first-degree murder charge for PJ's murder and a second-degree murder charge for Jimmy Shepard's murder. So they got him for all of it. Yeah. Now, let's get into the trial. I'll tell you. So although Barnes had been estranged from his family, once he was arrested, they rallied around him and paid for the best attorney money could buy. But think of how unusual that is for a black person. Although I will say in the South, there is a lot of middle class black people. So I guess maybe it's not too unusual. Not that unusual. Yeah. His attorney worked with the DA to get him a plea deal that reduced both charges of murder to manslaughter. The sentence would be 7 to 25 years in prison, with Barnes eligible for parole in three and a half years. On March 10th, 2004, Barnes accepted the plea deal in open court. I accept, Your Honor. Two murder, <laughs> manslaughter, no big deal. All right, let's get out of here. The victim's families were outraged. But the judge refused to accept the terms of the plea agreement and changed the sentence on the spot to 25 years with no parole. Can you imagine? I mean, oh, that'd be nuts. Yeah. He thought he was going to get like just what? Seven to 25 years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll take it. Bye, everybody. Bye. Okay. Nice seeing you. Okay. And then, um, woof, snatched it right up. Snatched that deal right up. Yeah. I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us.
I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. So now let's get into where are they now? Tell us, Beth. Well, unfortunately, most U.S. prisons house inmates based on their genitalia rather than on their gender or identity. Mm -hmm. New Jersey at this time is the only state that houses prisoners based on gender identity. California and Maine do allow for transfer requests, but the efficacy of these requests are up in the air. That's interesting. And, And I would like to see, I would like a world where there is more transparency about what happens with people who are incarcerated. Yeah. Um, because we have, there's a podcast with about kids who write letters to their parents in prisons and, and detention centers that we've shouted out in the past. And also Ear Hustle. But other right. than that, what do we know about the humanity of these yeah, people? Not, very, not very much. little and yeah. what they're experiencing. So I think that would change if there was more we knew more. Yeah. Anyway, Barnes was transferred to the Louisiana Women's Correctional Facility in St. Gabriel outside of Nolens. Initially, he had a hard time adjusting and got into a lot of fights, but he eventually began to settle in. At some point, he cut off all of his hair. And less than halfway through his sentence on New Year's Day 2013, Barnes successfully escaped from prison. Oh, Yeah. Well, so in the prison, each pod contained three to four prisoners. And somehow Barnes managed to drug all of his roommates. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how. Where do you where? How? I don't know. Um, And while they were sleeping, he broke a window and climbed out. I I know it's uh, illegal and stuff, but I love a good escape. I know you do. And, And like poisoning people to get it done. Is it just takes me back to Scooby Doo, Scooby Dooby Doo, Scooby Dooby Barnes? Where are you? <laughs> We've got some escapes to do now. So leaving a dummy in his bed, I love this even more. <laughs> I would have gotten away with it too if it hadn't been for you snooping Fruit Loops. So leaving a dummy on his bed, he climbed onto a catwalk and went over a razor wire fence. He did get tangled up in the fence a little bit as blood and pieces of a sweatshirt was found in the fence. His escape was discovered when jailers found the broken window in his cell. Residents in the vicinity of the prison told a local news station that they were upset that the state authorities did not notify them of the escape. And it was the second prison break in a week from the same facility. Uh Oh, I mean, I enjoy seeing a headline prisoner escape as long as it's not in my town does yeah. that make sense yeah it does okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> you love the drama but you don't want it in your house exactly yeah exactly. yeah i'm sorry 
So um, at 33 years old, Barnes was placed on the U.S. Marshals' most wanted fugitives list. He headed west to California. Then about three months later and 10 years exactly after PJ was murdered, on March 25, 2013, he was picked up for loitering in L.A.'s Skid Row area. One of the officers grew suspicious after Barnes gave a fake name and was unable to provide identification. So he was placed in the back of the police car and on the way to the station house, he admitted to who he was and that he'd escaped from prison. He was again extradited back to Louisiana and was given an extra eight years for the escape. Barnes is still incarcerated in Louisiana, but is expected to be released in 2027 when he will be a big age of 47 years old. After his escape, one prison official was fired and another resigned in lieu of termination. Mm -hmm. An investigation found that the officers were not making the appropriate rounds that would have prevented the escape from happening. I mean, there's so many factors into how an escape can happen, right? I mean, from how the prisoners are treated, conditions within the prison, how the staff of the prison is treated. Do they have sufficient support and staff? Right. So many things come into play, but yeah, this is a mess. So on Barnes's profile on a website called cagedladies.com, it reads, quote, Hi, I'm a 44-year-old transgender looking for a woman friend. I go by the name Jusha. So it's spelled J-O-U-S-H-A, but it might be Joshua. It might be just a misspelling. Okay, Joshua or Xander. I enjoy getting to know people. Hit me up if you're interested, unquote. And he can be contacted through Securus. And by the way, a little culture corner about the prison industrial complex, um, which I touched on earlier with the escape and all the all the factors. Prisons make people a lot of money. And the name of the game is saving, saving, savings, cost cutting, cost cutting, profits through the roof. 10x those (laughs) prison profits. So some prison facilities have like even restricted visitation and hugs. That way, they can turn around and charge ridiculous prices for people's phone calls, video calls, emails between incarcerated people and their loved ones. And this all has a negative impact on recidivism and on communities and families that come in contact with the carceral system and criminal legal system. So just something to think about. Yeah. When you really look into it and pull back the curtain on the prison industrial complex, it's disgusting. And it's very horrifying. Yeah. To me, it all goes back to what do you want from these people? Do you want them to come back into your community worse off? Because that's that's what's going to happen if we keep treating people like this. Right. Right. People who we decided are unredeemable and we've contributed to the the state that they're in. If they can't be redeemed, that's our fault. Yeah. Um, So anyway. Now it's time to get into, golly, I haven't done this in so long, our takes. <laughs> well, 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 um, this story was really interesting because I know that Barnes did not transition until Barnes was an adult. But when Barnes was younger and like a, a teenager, part of me wondered if he had an element of BPD, borderline personality disorder, which does afflict men and women and people along the spectrum yeah, of the everybody. Binary, binary, yes. And so I was just, because the story mentioned Barnes had like unstable moods and like explosive temper in some sources. 
So I was just thinking about that. And then I was thinking about how jealous I was of Barnes's like um, childhood where Barnes did not want for anything like a black middle class family in like the 80s and 90s. Not all of black people was living like that. And so yeah. it sounds very nice. If yeah. You <laughs> also, I thought about Barnes inability to feel like he could transition earlier and how frustrating it could have been for him to not feel like he was free to be himself. Right. And maybe that contributed to his anger. And also, Con Air is a real <laughs> thing. It's not just a Nicolas Cage movie. The official name of the Con Air program is Justice Prisoner and Alien Transportation System. And they transport 200,000 inmates a year across everywhere. Yeah, so that's crazy. I, I didn't know that was real until we researched this episode. I know, and I loved it so much. I got so giddy. So what are your takes, <laughs> So uh, borderline personality disorder is also something that I thought about. Okay. Um, it's characterized by unstable relationships, fear of abandonment, and explosive mm -hmm. anger. Mm -hmm. Jody Arias was diagnosed by one practitioner with BPD. Ah. And originally this case kind of reminded me of her. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People with BPD also have chronic feelings of emptiness, looking inside and just seeing nothing, no sense of self. Yeah. And as a result, some have a sort of chameleon trait due yeah. to their low self-esteem and fear of abandonment. It's an identity disturbance where they can change who they are and adjust to what they think other people want them to be. I uh -huh. think Jody Arias did this. I don't yeah. know if Barnes did, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did. But you know what's interesting about Barnes and Jody Arias is Jody believed that she was in a relationship with Alexander and not everybody thought so. And there are elements of Barnes's story where people thought Barnes was in a relationship with this person or that with person. PJ or, and he yeah. really wasn't. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. the perception of that, relationship too, yeah. I think. Uh, and that wanting a relation to be relationship to be there that isn't there. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. becoming like just overwhelmingly angry to the point where you murder them. Yeah. 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 That's what made me think of Jody Arias. Thanks, OG. Wow. Yeah. So I also wanted to um, tell everybody, keep in mind that most people with BPD don't ever kill anyone. So just because they had BPD right. doesn't mean, uh, you know, everybody with BPD is going to kill people. It's right. it's real small fraction of people with BPD who kill Absolutely. somebody. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But Thank I did you. also wonder if the fact that he's trans mm -hmm. and maybe hadn't figured it out yet when he was mm -hmm. younger, mm -hmm. didn't feel good in his skin, but not knowing mm -hmm. what to do about it and not understanding his feelings mm -hmm. had something to do with it. And I'm not saying that trans people are more likely to commit crimes. In fact, transgender people are over four times more likely than cisgender people to be victims of violent crime. Right. I'm just wondering if in this case it played a role. Yeah, I think it's a, a question and I, I think it's a fair one. Um, yeah. So I wonder, too. Yeah. And then this is a treat. We get to read some of Corey's thoughts because oh, Corey helped us with the hang script. Hang on. Corey, yeah. hip hop air horn. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. So this is what Corey said. He said, it seemed he relied on his appearances to get through life. He was engaged in sex work to an extent, 
After running away, he was stripping, then homemaking. For a trans person deep in the closet, this is really fucking hard to do. It can build up quite a bit of rage. You already aren't happy in your own skin. Nobody sees who you are. And now you're being valued based on a lie. So as a trans person, I can see how this would turn into this kind of anger and fury. I do feel bad for the trans youth that he was growing up in the 80s and 90s with the climate surrounding Mm -hmm. the LGBT community at the time. Mm -hmm. It was like a cage. Mm -hmm. They spewed this negative rhetoric and walled the community in with it. Mm -hmm. Queer folk in Louisiana didn't have legal protection until 1991, and trans folk didn't gain that same protection until 1998. Oh, that's horrifying. Oh, wow. Thank you, Corey, for those facts. He was put through some maddening survival circumstances, and while he did evil things and was definitely not a good person, I wonder if this had anything to do with what happened. And uh, I think you're right, Corey. I think, think so. you're on to something. It all played a role. Golly. Yep. Can I just say how um my last take is how grateful I am to our fruities yeah. for letting us know we made a boo-boo. We made a mistake and uh, helping, helping us, us fix it and to do better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we learned we had a lot. so many people offering yeah. us uh, yeah. pointers. Thank and- you for the, the grace. We learned a lot and man, the fruity community just love you guys so much. Thank you for helping us with this episode. So now I think it is time to <clears throat> how not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. this segment is not intended to be victim blaming we thought of this segment because i read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer this is not meant to blame the victims it's just learning from other people's experiences all right y'all so this is more of some tips on how to be a good ally ally tips save lives and as we know The transgender community is one of the most marginalized and discriminated against communities in our society, and they face quite a bit of danger. So there will be links in our footnotes, but just real quick, learning to be an ally to the transgender people in your life or the transgender people overall is an ongoing process. There is no one way to be a perfect ally. The transgender community is diverse and complex coming from every region of the United States and around the world, from every racial and ethnic background, and from every faith community. This means that different members of the transgender community have different needs, different priorities. Similarly, there is no one right way to handle every situation or interact with every single trans person. Just be respectful, do your best, and keep trying. You don't have to understand someone's identity to respect it. Say that again for the people in the back. You don't have to understand someone's identity to respect it. Some people have trouble understanding what it means to be trans, and that's okay. But all people, even those whose identities you don't fully understand, certainly deserve respect and not to be harmed and to exist. So use the language a transgender person uses for themselves. No two transgender people are exactly the same. And different transgender people may use different words to describe themselves. Follow the lead of each trans person as they will best know the language that is right for them. So continue to educate yourselves. Uh, I know that I will and Beth will as well. Yeah. And we'll have some links in our show notes. Yep. For y'all to follow too. Yeah. So now, oh, what's that? 
shout out time. It's shout out time where we shout out any content by people of color or LGBTQ plus folks or any true crime goodies. Now, I just have a couple of. So, OK, so on PBS, American Problems, this is a show on PBS. It's called American Problems Trans Solutions, and it's people of the trans experience creating home ownership opportunities, um, stable housing, helping migrants and displaced people of a trans experience. As of when I wrote this, there was three episodes. And then I also wanted to shout out a trans elder that I recently discovered on TikTok and Instagram. This person is an elderly trans woman, an elderly trans woman from Canada in her 60s. Uh, sorry, Beth, I don't mean to say elderly, just... <laughs> she's older she's older and given how often trans people are murdered succumb to death due to substances or for whatever reason or or even um not so much anymore but even hiv aids their lifespans are um i i I guess Death, death is so common in the trans story that I'm, I'm familiar with. That for me, as a cis queer person, I am surprised and overjoyed to see this older woman talk about her experience. She transitioned in the 70s, and she's been a non-binary activist and for BIPOC and LGBTQ folks. Also wanted to shout out Alok. They, them, on Instagram, comedian, poet, non-binary person, great follow in the space if you're trying to learn more about LGBTQIA plus life and how you can be better and love. Awesome. So I have some lighter ones because this was a heavy story. Yeah. I wanted to shout out a podcast called Disentel and it's hosted by Matt, a gay man in Sydney, a woman of color. It's basically celebrity gossip and it's really fun. (laughs) I love this. An audio burn book. Yeah. <laughs> and then I saw what you did podcast hosted by Millie, a woman of color and Danielle. They're a film expert and a film enthusiast. And they program a double feature of their favorite movies with a different wild theme every week. And it's also Ooh. really fun. Okay. And then I've been watching a show on Netflix called Lupin. Lupin. Have you watched Lupin. I yeah. The movie. But I and I didn't know it's a show now. Okay. Well, it may not be the same story. Is it um, a black guy from France? Yeah, I guess it is the same story. Yeah. So it's a it's a black guy in France. It's a mystery thriller. He's a master thief. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and the main character is black. For my eyeballs. Yeah. Oh, yummy. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. <laughs> okay. So just to recap. That is American Problems Trans Solutions on PBS. Marty Pants on Instagram and TikTok. Marty is M-A-R-D-I. Pants is P-A-N-T-Z. And Alok, A-L-O-K on Instagram and all the socials. What do you got, Fred? Disentel podcast. I saw what you did podcast and Lupin on Netflix. All right. Oh no. Oh no. That uh that sad feeling is bad. That's it. And I don't like it. Yeah. Um I guess that's the end of the show. I guess so. I don't know <laughs> when I'll see Beth again or the cruise. <laughs> uh in the meantime, Beth, where can the people find us? 
Our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website, plus check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. You can also support us by supporting our sponsors or by giving us a five-star review. Five stars only, please! Yes. And don't forget to subscribe. Yeah, it helps us a lot. This is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. Whoops, whoops, whoops. Am I still talking? Can you still hear me? I can still hear can you. you? Corey, <laughs> I can't thank you enough. I, 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 oh, I, I thank you, Corey. Corey. Okay, I'm done. Sorry. Colloquially. It's a hard word. Yeah, I, I remember I had trouble with it the first time around. <laughs> Tamara was to Scott. Dis- she was to Scott. Oh, my God. What's that? <laughs> Tamara. Oh, am I doing? Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is unexpected. Systemic, systemic, systematically Uh-oh. keep. Whoa. Okay. Thank you. If you didn't know, if you didn't know, now you know. <laughs> if you didn't know, now you know. <laughs> If you didn't know, now you now you know. Oh, oh friend, my God, are you okay? No. Okay. Do you want me to say this part? Yeah. No. Okay. National movements such as gay liberation experienced it's the gay liberation experience. Oh wow! How much are the tickets for that? Sounds fun. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so because I'm an sh- asshole. I knew it! Officer! <laughs> it's right here! She's an asshole. <laughs> Take her to jail right now. <laughs> um. No! You kidding me? Like a superhero. Okay, in that case, described him as a fun and fun as. Now, mine, my screen just froze. Hold on. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, here we go. Don't cry, Beth. It's it's okay. All right. Do we need to get new computers and get assistance Not... and get build studios in our houses? And... Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> no, we got to go to... Uh... I thought you were going to say, we got to go to Radio Shack and get them to look at our devices. <laughs> we got to get a ham radio at Radio Shack. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It's, this is what it's come to. This is what it's come to. The world is ending anyway. Cam radios. Are, yeah, are we gotta next. get one. They're the next one thing. Yeah. <laughs>
a dead. <laughs> My dreams. Sorry. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh my God. What is happening? Everything, I feel like everything is going wrong today. I'm, I just, I'm doing my best. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. 